last week, the forgiveness of our sins, the blessings upon our life, and peace, as we learn here from uh, the definition in the Greek, Irene, everybody say Irene, thank you, is tranquility without storm or conflict to prosper and be whole. In the Old Testament, the word is shalom. Everyone say shalom. Thank you, and it was a key concept to the blessings of God. Uh, Do me a favor, Lada, and get my daughter Zoe, please. Yeah, get Zoe for me, please. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. I want to show you one of the greatest blessings in the Bible. I want to pray it over one of my children as an example. And I ask that as you see this example, you think about doing it in your family. As we look here to Numbers chapter 6, we see that God is telling the Israelites through, uh, through Moses, he's, he's wanting them to know how to bless the people. So he says, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. So you as the priest, you bless the Israelites. And then now the Israelites, you bless your families. And so I want to show you this blessing right here. This is one of the most powerful blessings in all of the Bible. And I want you to scroll down with it too for me, Joby, because I want to have my daughter up here, and I don't want to have to do that. As I do this, I want you to think about who you would want to bless this with. Not only just those maybe close to you, but also those in your life to pray this over them, over the ones that we were just talking about, maybe your boss, maybe your employees, maybe those that you're teaching or going to school with, praying this over our culture, believing God that this is his best for them. God created us for this. And so let's give it up for Zoe as she comes. Come on up here. Yeah, I love you. You're not in any trouble. I just want to bless you. Can I bless you? Oh, do you love Jesus? Okay, your daddy's going to bless you. Okay, as long as she's not crying, we'll do this. Zoe, can you look at daddy? Just look at daddy. Don't look at them. Look at daddy. I'm with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Let's give it up for Zoe. She was so brave. You go back to mommy. Thank you. I just wanted you to have a picture of that. I wanted you to have something in your mind as you saw me do that. That's exactly the intention of this prayer here. That's the idea of shalom. Look at it there at the end and give you peace. Give you peace. Give you tranquility without storm. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. I would encourage husbands and wives laying laying your hands on each other today and praying this as you get ready for bed. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That's the understanding of the Bible. And think about it like this. Gideon called God Jehovah Shalom in Judges 6.24. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9.6. So from beginning to end, it's all about peace in the Bible. When God created us, it was for peace. By his grace, he gave us the garden. He gave us the animal kingdom. He gave us marriage. And what did the devil take away? He took away our peace. Our sin took away our peace. And at that moment, we became enemies of God. Maybe you don't think, uh, you don't think of sinners like necessarily all hating God in that sense, but they are in a sense called the enemies of God. They are striving against God until man repents of his sin 
He's not at peace with God. Did you know that? Look at this real quick. Go to James chapter 2. I'm looking at some of your faces to see if you knew that. Men without God are enemies of God. Now, how many are thankful that God loves his enemies? Amen. He does. He loves his enemies. Go to James chapter 2. In the book of James, we're told that um, friendship with the world is at enmity with God. I believe it's James chapter 3, rather. Oh, excuse me, James chapter 4. Look at it here. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means an enmity towards God or warfare against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes a what? An enemy of God. So we need peace with humanity between, uh, between us and God. But we couldn't make that peace. We, we caused the problem. We are the ones who brought the war. We sided with the, with the one who was kicked out of heaven. Don't you remember there was a war in heaven? Satan is cast out, a third of the angels, okay? Now he's here on earth. He's gathering up people on his side to fight against the devil, I mean to fight against God, and we took the devil's side. So humanity is a friend of the world today. Humanity without Christ is an enemy of God. But I'm thankful that Jesus loves his enemies. So Jesus comes to make peace for us, between us and God. That's why he dies on the cross. He takes the judgment of the Father that we deserve, the punishment, the judgment, the wrath, and now he is the peacemaker. He's the peacemaker between God and mankind. How many have come to Jesus and found peace with God? Amen. And have you ever heard that saying from old timers? A lot of them used to say it. I'm at peace with God. Or they'll say, make your peace with God. Paul, in his writings, used the word peace 43 times in his 13 epistles and eight times in Ephesians. How many think peace was important to him? Now, let's look at these uh, definitions or rather these passages of peace. And let me just say this right at the beginning. <clears throat> the book of Ephesians is literally a book that is sandwiched with grace and peace. It starts with grace and peace in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, and it ends with grace and peace in, in Ephesians 23 and 24. So think about that. Just for a second, everybody look up at me, please. The whole book of Ephesians is one big grace and peace sandwich. I mean, that's it. And could you think of anything greater than grace and peace? I know we would say love, but these are the attributes of love, L love made tangible. Could you think of anything greater than grace and peace? There is nothing greater than grace and peace. All you want today, really, when you look at it, is grace and peace. That's all you want. All you want in your relationships is grace and peace. All you want in your business relationships, all you want in church, all you want in everything you do is grace and peace. Now, we may say we know sinners who go out there and don't want grace and peace. Yeah, but, you know, ultimately, as I was talking to one of them um, at Wright College Monday, they're ultimately hypocrites. And let me just give you an example. So I'm preaching the gospel at Wright College, and one of these guys comes up to me, I hate Jesus, I love Satan. And I go, well, you're going to go to hell with Satan, you know. And then he's like, well, I want to go to hell. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want to go to the biblical definition of hell. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'd rather be tortured than, uh, than go to where God is. I hate God and all of these things. And then I said this. I said, if you understood what the biblical hell was, 
and you said you liked it, you would be setting yourself on fire with gasoline right now, and you would have already killed yourself so you could go there. And I'm not trying to encourage his suicidal tendencies, uh, which is funny. I used to listen to a band called Suicidal Tendencies. But, uh, yeah, that's where I used to come from. Yep, suicidal tendencies. Not that I wanted to encourage his suicidal tendencies, but he's actually a hypocrite. I say, see, you're going to college because you want to accomplish things. You want to do things. He's, you know, he's going to write college saying he wants to burn in hell one day. Well, if you want to do that, why are you waiting? Set yourself on fire now, and you'll be there in just a few minutes, right? The reason why he's such a hypocrite is because he doesn't understand that the way he goes about to get grace and peace may be suspect to the Bible and considered evil and all of those things, but nonetheless, he proves the Bible true because he's trying to achieve a grace and a peace, meaning he's trying to achieve a certain kind of, you know, prosperity in his life, a blessing in his life. Even the gangbangers who say, you know, all we want to do is die, all we want to do is die. Well, you know what? Even in their own groups, they have a certain kind of code amongst themselves. And if somebody, uh, you know, they'll say, I don't care about rules, I don't care about rules, and they'll shoot up a mall and they'll shoot up kids, and that is true, like they don't care about those kind of rules. But then in their gang, like they'll care about some rule in their gang. You know, if you do this, well, they will violate you here, whatever. If they were really without rules, they would kill each other inside their own gangs. You, you get what I'm saying? They, they would just kill each other the whole entire time. They wouldn't have any friends. They wouldn't have any loyalties. So all men who pursue grace and peace outside of God's grace and peace are hypocrites. Does everybody get that? Let me just take a drink of water here and I'll have you think about that deep thought. Everybody's um, is, is trying to achieve it. So there's this Facebook video that's out of a guy has a satanic church somewhere in Mexico. I don't know if you guys seen it. He's a satanic priest and all that. He's a hypocrite. He doesn't really love Satan. He loves a make-believe version of Satan. He doesn't love actually the real Satan. And then what happens is by the time he gets to meet the real Satan, he'll be so demon-possessed, he won't know the difference anymore. He'll be self-deceived. And that is true. People can be very wicked on their own and, and, and then achieve a certain level of, of wickedness with demonic help. That is truly, uh, you know, disgusting and all of that. But even then, it's still hypocrisy. The Bible says, and listen, this is why, the Bible says Satan is a liar. See, Satan is a liar. Satan is not truth. So people who follow him cannot have a foundation of truth. That's why they are illogical. A lot of times you look at sinners and be like, they don't make any sense. How does that make any sense? It doesn't make any rational sense. The only sense that it makes is that sinners do stupid things. Does everybody get that? You know, so somebody, you, you try to understand why does somebody murder their children, okay? Well, you can't understand that because you're not psychopathic. You get that? Only a psychopathic person would do that. If you're not psychopathic, you won't understand why somebody murders their children. You say, well, I will never understand why someone would abort their baby. Well, you don't have that level of self-deception. But here's the sad part is those who are self-deceived don't know they're deceived. They don't know they're deceived. So to them, like the psychopathic person, they're normal. Now, that's another discussion, but the whole idea here, the idea here is, is that we're not going to be psychopaths, amen? We're not going to do that, and we're not going to live contradictory lives. So what we want to do is live the life of peace. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to live the life of grace, and I want to live the life of peace. So just go back up here before we get into some of these scriptures and just ask yourself the question before we go on. 
Do I say I want peace, but I do something else that results, you know, in not having peace? You can't blame me for your Facebook feed being messy all the time. You have a messy Facebook feed. You know, people talk about, oh, people cause messes on Facebook. No, no, no. Your friends cause messes on Facebook. Oh, Facebook, you know, you ever hear talking about like, oh, Facebook's got so much drama. Facebook's got so much drama. No, you're the drama on Facebook. Because all you have to do is do what I did, get out of those feeds, block them, stop following them, and follow people who don't cause messes. Facebook is an awesome place for me because I choose who I look at. And if you don't do what I need you to do on Facebook, I block you. So if you look at, like, who I'm following on Facebook right now, I probably, I have 3,000 friends, whatever, you know, friends. I have 3,000 friends on there, but I only follow about 40 people. That's why my Facebook time is awesome. You get what I'm saying? Because I don't need to follow 3,000 people. I don't need to know what you're doing. I don't care. It's not, it's not, not what I do that for. I go to Facebook so that I can hang out with some folks that I don't get to see every day. So Rachel's on my Facebook. I get to see beautiful pictures of her, her baby. I get to see what's going on with Joe B going out preaching and all of that. I, get to see, I follow many of you on Facebook. Rowena, I got to see her put a beautiful song out there. That's, that's my experience on Facebook. No drama. No drama on my Facebook. And then you, you may say, well, what if one of your 3,000 friends posts something you don't like on your page? I just delete it. Because I choose to be at peace. So if you say to me, Facebook is the problem, that's why I don't have peace. No, Facebook isn't the problem. You're the problem. Now, if God tells you, cut off Facebook, it's a waste of your time, that's another discussion. I'm not saying everything is beneficial for your time. I'm just saying you can't blame things and then say that's the reason why I don't have peace. I go to the same traffic you do. I'm in the same traffic. How many drive in traffic in Chicago? Whether or not you lose your peace and I keep my peace or I, I lose mine, you keep yours, it's totally up to us. We could be in the same car together and you could be losing your God-given mind, right? How many have ever been in traffic with somebody, they just lost their mind? I've been in traffic like that where just the person is angry, I'm, I'm in their car, and I'm like, I wish I could get out of your car right now. They're driving up on everybody's bumper. They're like, man, I'm so upset. Why is traffic so bad today? And I'm like, dude, it's traffic. It's the way it is. What did you think you were going to run into at 6 o'clock in the evening on Fullerton, you know? Do you think it was going to be like wide open, wild west? You're going to go like 50 miles an hour down the road here? That's what it is, right? But whether or not they lose their peace, it's not, it's not, that, that's not going to affect me. I'm going to keep my peace. How many of you have been around somebody freaking out, but you kept your peace? It can be like that in all things. Let's make a decision to keep our peace. Amen? So here's these scriptures that Paul brings up. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace. What do we just learn in that first part of this verse? He himself is our peace. Jesus is peace. Peace is not just an attribute of God, it's God himself and the Son. Just like grace is not just an attribute, grace is our Lord Jesus. Jesus said this kind of stuff all the time when he walked the earth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. <coughs> he said this about himself all the time. Anytime you leave Jesus, you leave peace. How many of you have ever did something you weren't supposed to and peace left you as fast as it ever had? I mean, it just, boom, it's gone. How many have ever been in an argument and you know you're doing the wrong thing and peace is gone? 
Now, does that mean Jesus left you? No, it's just he's removed that part of his blessing from your life. It's meant to teach you. We grieve the Holy Spirit, and we're meant to learn not to do that anymore. That's why when I talk to people about the grace message, and they say, well, then that just means we can sin all we want, and God will understand. Well, hold on. You don't know the God I serve. Because the moment I sin, I grieve his spirit, I don't feel right. And then you're going to say you're going to do this thing in Christianity where you're going to keep sinning to keep being forgiven, acting like it's not a big deal, then you don't know Jesus. You know, I know my wife will forgive me, but there's no way I'm going to go hurt her feelings right now just so she can forgive me. Are you guys tracking with me? And then there's things you know I have done unintentionally to hurt her feelings, but now I know better. And so if I make that same mistake again, you know what? That don't feel good because mama's going to tell me real quick, I told you about that, you know? And one of the things with my wife is that she loves special touch. She loves it when I hold her hand in public. That is, like, amazing for her. But she does not like me slapping her butt in public, which I love to do. And I've, I used to find it so funny, you know, just like, Dish, how are you doing? I sometimes do it with my friends, you know. But, man, mama don't like it. After 10 years, like, I've, co- I've learned to count the cost. I can laugh and and have my little time with like 30 seconds and then have upset mama for the next 30 minutes, you know, or I can just do something else. And, And as you get older, you realize in relationship, this is not worth the peace. Me doing this dumb thing is not worth me losing the peace in my marriage over. And that's the way it is with God because God is our peace. Do I want to intentionally sin so I can be forgiven? No, I don't, man. That peace means so much to me. How many know the peace of God like I'm talking about? How many have ever felt it go away when you sin and you were just like, no, Lord, I'm sorry? Now, there's a condemnation that can come on you that says, no, no, God really didn't forgive you this time. This time you really messed up. And that's a lie, too, so don't believe that. But I think as you become sensitive to your heart, you'll know when God has has removed that peace as discipline. And we'll learn about that a little bit later. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What were the two groups, Jew and what? Gentile. Remember, everybody was Jewish or not Jewish. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm making them one. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, he, his purpose was to create in himself one new what? One new humanity. Everybody say humanity. Thank you. His purpose was in himself to create one new Humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Thank you. And in one body to reconcile both of them, Jew and Gentile, to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Listen to it. He, talking about Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. I was far away from God. There were some that are near. Not that there's a different kind of sinner. Sinners still go to hell. But the Bible says that there are sinners who God is dealing with, and they're in a place of conviction, and they're near to the kingdom of God. They'll still go to hell. There's not a halfway point, uh, a halfway place, but they're near. And the Bible actually says, you know, there's people like this in the Bible. So like Cornelius was a God-fearer, not necessarily a 
a person serving God. He just feared God. He knew things about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a Roman soldier. And from time to time, he would pray. And God had mercy on him and showed uh, a vision to him and brought Peter to his house. And there's another time when uh, uh, Paul is preaching, and one of the kings says, man, I was actually going to be converted by you, Paul. So it so- sounds like he's near. And then another time, Jesus is preaching, and he says to them, the kingdom of God is near you. The kingdom of God is near you to this one man. He had asked him a question, and he uh, was trying to test Jesus, and Jesus gave the right answer, and then it, it appears that this man humbles himself, and, and then Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. But here's the deal. How many of you can relate to being far from the kingdom of God? I know I was. I was so far. It was like, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Here I am, here I am, like way over here. But I love the way Paul says, he came to preach to me too. And what did Jesus preach? He preached peace. Do you now know that, uh, why that's so important? Because we were at war with God. We were enemies of God, and Jesus comes to us, and what does he say to us? We're going to, uh, my father and I, we're going to damn you. We're going to kick your butt in hell. No, what does he say? He comes to us, and he says, I want to bring you close. I want you to come close. Believe in me, and you will be a part of my kingdom. Jesus preaches peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. And look at verse 18. See if you can find the Trinity here. For through him... We both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Does anybody see the doctrine of the Trinity there in verse 18? Who sees it? Okay, who is the Him? Jesus. Who do we call Jesus in the Trinity? The Son. Have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Can I just go to that picture one more time and we can just get this? How could we ever have peace without Jesus? Never could. But yet Jesus comes to us and preaches peace. How did Jesus come to you to preach peace? Probably through somebody else, right? Unless you had a vision. I had Jesus, uh, Jesus preached his peace to me through my mother at a kitchen table. Think of those people who came to you and preached the gospel. You know what they literally were doing? They were preaching peace to you. They were literally saying, you and God have been at war, and now you can be at peace with him. Now you can have a truce, and it's because of Jesus. Why would I want to leave him now? Can anybody else offer me something better? Come on. Who can offer me something better? Religion? You know, you hear a lot about religions talking about peace. They can't offer me peace. They can't. What religion can get me to leave Jesus now for a better offer of peace? Nobody. What, what thing in the secular world, education or money or career, could get you to leave here now? But then why is it there are people who backslide? Why is it people so easily walk away from Jesus? Oftentimes, we see our own friends and family walk away from Jesus. Why? When Jesus has given us the very thing that we want, I'll tell you why. It's a very simple reason. Because they believe in false peace. Most of the time, when you see somebody walk away from God, they don't become a drug addict living on the street, selling their body for their next hit of crack. You see them just go off into the sunset and they find somebody they love. You know, I think about one person that was coming to our church and she was dating a non-Christian and 
He said the Bible told her not to do that, and she didn't care, so she got offended, and she left, and she rode off into the sunset, and time to time we'll ask how they're doing, and oh, they're doing great, and they're living together now, and you know, it just seems like life is awesome. I mean, all they had to do to have peace in their family was leave that judgmental church. That's all they had to do, because that church was just so judgmental. But do they have real peace? That kind of peace that they have is the peace of the false prophet. In the Bible, there's a false peace that's always warned against. The peace that says, everything's fine. Everything's good. Don't listen to these over here telling you that there's judgment. But the false peace always fails in the end. It always fails. Our bodies can be at peace by doing simple things. So let's say a Buddhist tells you, hey, stop thinking about something negative, meditate on an ocean, cross your legs like this, take an hour to say some nice things, a little mantra, whatever. Can that bring you a peace? Sure it can. It can bring you a temporary peace. Your body will respond to that. But will that bring you everlasting peace? No, it can't. And so in the end, when everything is laid bare before God, will that peace really be peace? No, it was a deception. That's right. It's a physical, mental peace, but not a spiritual peace. This young man really loves Jesus. It's your second service, isn't it? And you helped me in the, uh, the second. I almost wish I could just give you the mic and you just preach the rest of it because my voice is failing me quick right now. But, Lord, I appreciate your peace. Look at Ephesians 4.3. Somebody read this out loud on the count of three. Let's all do it. One, two, three. Amen. Are you going to have to work at peace? Or is peace just going to happen by itself? You got to work at peace. But how do you get the ability to work at peace? Look at Ephesians 2, verse 21 again. You guys have heard this so many times here. How do we do the good works that uh, lead us to peace, Ephesians 2.20, rather. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. For some reason, it's in chapter 3. Oh, no, excuse me, Ephesians 2, verse 10. 2, verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So how do we get the ability to do good works? From who? From Jesus. So is making peace and making every effort to keep the unity of peace a good work? Yeah, who's going to give you the help to do that? God, now can you imagine working on anything more important than working on peace? So what about in our marriages? If we are not at peace in our marriage, have we made every effort to have the peace? If we have no peace in our schools, have we made every effort to make peace in our high schools? If we have no peace in our streets, have we made every effort? No, we haven't. This is the problem. It's not rocket science. Why is there no peace on the streets of Chicago? Because there's no peacemakers. That's it. If there's no peace in your marriage, it's because there's no peacemaker. If there's no peace with your children, it's because they're rebellious. They don't want to make peace. At the end of the day, those who resist peace get exactly what they want, the turmoil of this life. But those who make peace, the Bible says, will be called sons and daughters of God. 
Are you a peacemaker? Do you make every effort to make peace? Look at it. It's in the Beatitudes, Matthew. I believe Matthew chapter 5, what, verse 6? Now let's go down. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Did Jesus make every effort to make peace? Yeah. Did everybody want it, though? No. But Jesus was obedient to make peace everywhere he went. I will not let this world determine whether or not I'll be a peacemaker. And I am not going to walk around defeated and saying, well, nobody wants peace. I've tried it. Now I'm just going to shoot everybody. No, I'm not doing that. Well, you know what? I tried to make peace in traffic. Now I'm just going to lay on the horn. <laughs> you know what's so funny, man? I, I got so angry in traffic last week, and I literally said to myself, I use traffic as an example every single week. And you think I would get better at this. But I have to trust God in traffic. I have to trust him. But I got so angry. You know what I was doing? I was getting the mail Monday on my way to church, uh, to chapel. And I was pulling out. Had my turn signal on. And I'm pulling out. And the guy, he is like flying, like way faster than he should ever be on Irving. He doesn't stop. He lays on his horn and just like, you know, kind of, you know, turns around me real fast, laying on his horn as if I'm the idiot. I am not the idiot. I am the one pulling out of here. You're the one flying down. Why don't you just slow down enough so I can just pull the rest of the way out, right? Wouldn't that just make common sense? Just let me get out. I'm not hurting you. I'm not stopping you from going to wherever you're going. I promise I'll go where I'm going to, you know? But, oh, man, when he did that to me. I, I put on my pedal so hard, got right out of there. I have an eight-cylinder car, so it was, and then I rip right around him to get into that left lane because I got to make a turn, and literally it was like 30 seconds, and my heartbeat was going so fast, and I, and I said to myself, I cannot believe on my way to church on a Monday that I'm about ready to have road rage with this guy because, this, you know, the way he acted. But you know what? I was so, it was so obvious to me that I made the decision. It was me. I had nobody else to blame. So what do you think I would have did if the guy would have got out of his car cursing at me? Now I would have had to make peace. And I would have said, you get back in your car before I make you get back. No, I'm kidding. No, I would have been like, Hey, man, I'm sorry. I remember one time I got so mad riding bikes, this guy got mad at me, and I was yelling at him. But then I, re and I realized, like, oh, I'm being dumb. So then I'm like, I'm sorry. But he didn't want to hear me say sorry. You know? How many have ever gotten mad, tried to say you're sorry? They didn't want to hear you were sorry. I'm like, I don't know what you want. You do, I don't know. Do you want me to keep yelling at you, too? But I can't anymore. I now know I was part of the problem, you know? And so, I mean, this is the real deal, guys. Make every effort. I have to tell myself I'm going to be at peace in this car. I'm not going to let somebody get me angry. How many want to have that in traffic as well? I don't know about you, but there's other things that make me angry too. Um, calling up cable companies, you know. I, I, my bill came in at $300 just one too many times, and I go, why in the world is my cable bill $300? This is no joke. This is no joke. I call them up, and I say, I want you to tell me every single thing I am paying for because I don't ever remember it being $300. And they're going through this thing, and they literally go, 
you have the Latino movie channel. I go, what in the world do I have the Latino movie channel for? And they go, oh, this was put on. And then I realized, you know what I realized? Is that you always pay these introductory rates at the beginning with Comcast. And then as time goes on, it goes up to something else. And unless you call them, they'll keep it at that. So you all nodding your heads. I didn't, I didn't know this. And I'm like thinking, what in the world am I paying for this for? But I was in some package that once it went up, it went up. And then for their sake, I guess they threw in some of those other channels that were now in that new package. But I, I did not even know this. So then long story short, I got it down to $150. I cut that thing in half. I had four cable boxes. My kids don't even watch it anymore. They only watch Netflix. I said, I don't need the two in their rooms and uh, in the kids' rooms. I said, I don't need that. And I said, I definitely don't need the Latino the movie channel. And then they said, like, I had the entire sports package. I said, I don't even watch sports. I make fun of people who watch sports. No, I'm kidding. I did in the first service a little bit. But I'm like, I don't even watch sport. I have like five ESPNs. You know, I can watch like professional ping pong. And I'm like, I don't even need that. I'm like, what in the world is this? But the whole point is, I'm just telling on myself today so you guys know how to pray for me this week, okay? But when, they, but when she got to that point of the Hispanic movie channel, I was so angry. I'm like, y'all charging me this much money expecting me to call you up. But I guess it just changed on me. It went up by 40 bucks. You know, I guess it changed. Still a lot of money, 260 But I had been paying that for like three months. And then just one day, it just occurred to me, this bill is not supposed to be $300. And you know what? It gets the same way with AT&T. When I call them up, this is to tell you another little story about them. Our people go, we have our phone, all of our pastors on this phone plan. And they're using the data, and they blow up all of our data, you know, just doing whatever they do. So I'm, like, calling up Berto. I'm like, man, what are you watching on your, because his phone is used, like, like, almost all of our data. And I'm like, are you, like, watching, like, 10 movies a day on your phone? And then he tells me, you know, I work a job that they let me carry it around and, and listen to stuff. So I'm like, look, man, I'm going to call them up. Oh, no, here's the thing he told me. He said, because the plan I had before, Pastor, that Griselda and I had that we paid for before the church did it was unlimited data with T-Mobile, you know, the cool guys over there. And so, and, and it's like, we only had like 50 gigabytes of data for like 10, no, eight phones. Six phones or eight phones. A lot of phones for like 50 gigabytes. And he's used to having unlimited, right? So I call him up, and I'm about ready to cancel. I'm paying $250 for the phone. Do you know what they tell me? We now have an unlimited plan for $150. And I'm, like, so mad at them right now. I'm like, why didn't you tell me that? And that's another little thing they say. Well, you know, we always come out with new deals to compete with all the other companies. If a customer doesn't call up, we don't tell them about the new deal. Don't you think that they should tell you we got a new deal? Hey, by the way, we have an unlimited plan now for 150 bucks. I'm like, all the emails you send me, all the stupid things I get from you on my email, you never thought about sending me one email that says, hey, would you like to have a $100 savings on your bill? You wait for me to almost cancel and let them go back to T-Mobile. I'm losing my peace right now. You wait for me to almost call up and cancel this thing, and now you're like, oh, hey, we don't want to lose you. Just want to let you know we got a promotional deal going on for 150 unlimited data for your eight lines. And I'm just like, dear God, help me. How many know you got to fight for your peace? 
okay? Ephesians, I'll be closing here soon. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Talking about the armor of the spirit. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of what? Peace. Rachel, come to the keyboard, please. The gospel of what? Peace. Do you have the gospel of peace on your feet today? Because that's where we should be uh, walking and going. Every place, uh, every step we take should be with the gospel of peace. In the first service, I read a testimony from my dad. I, I won't read it. I'll just summarize it here. But my dad was a businessman who talks about wherever he would go, he would share the gospel. Even at times, it would cost him clients. He said one time, a client found out that he was tithing, and he said, I'm going to not give you my business anymore because I don't like your pastor. Can you believe that? Such a wicked heart. But I know a lot of people in this church, not a lot, but maybe there's some people in this church that would be out. They would be like, hey, you mean I'm going to lose your business if I, st- if I keep going to Metro Praise? But if I stop going to Metro Praise, I got your business? Okay, let me call up my wife. Honey, we need to go to New Life Covenant now, okay? We got a new church we're going to. But no, my, my, my dad says he wasn't intimidated by that. But he took the gospel everywhere he went. Whenever he had the opportunities to, he shared the faith. Wherever you go tomorrow, you're going with the gospel of peace. Think about that. Share it. And I said this as well uh, to the first service, and I want to say it to you, that I can't tell you how to do that, but I can tell you Jesus will. So if you start off tomorrow saying, Lord, I put on my uh, gospel shoes, and I want to walk out into my world sharing your message or walk out into this world sharing your message, he'll give you the words to speak. My dad would call them uh, entry points, an open door, a, a way to start the conversation. Maybe you're sitting at the, you know, the coffee break room or whatever, at the coffee table having um, a meal, a lunch, and someone says, hey, my, my family's not doing good. And you're like, hey, can I pray with you? You bring the gospel of peace. Maybe somebody comes to you to talk about the boss, and you say, man, let's not talk about the boss. Let's see how we can make this place better. And maybe that gets their attention. We should be Christians wherever we go. And look at this in closing here. Ephesians 6, 23 through 24. The last verse is, Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. How many brothers and sisters want peace here? Amen. Let's close it out with some applications. Y'all ready for this? Number one, know the God of peace personally. Get to know Jesus. If you haven't known him, get to know him now. Number two, be a peacemaker. As much as it can depend on you, make peace. Number three, accept the discipline that brings about peace. Remember, I was going to talk about this. I didn't have time. But there are times that we, we sense that peace leaves us. Well, that's actually part of God's discipline, and he's teaching us to keep the peace. So every time I mistreat my wife, God's like, hey, I got your wife's back. I'm going to take away some peace from you right now. Oh, God, I feel that. I don't like that. Yeah, treat her right. Oh, I like that. See, it works. Discipline, good discipline works. Positive reinforcement. One of the most famous passages of the Bible, Ephesians 4, 6 through 9. Let's read it together here. Philippians, rather. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Let's read it together on the count of three. One, two, three. Peace of God transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about such things. Or uh, praiseworthy. Think about such things. Verse 9, come on. Or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. We'll be with you. Look at that. That is amazing. Whatever you've learned from Paul, received or heard from him or seen it and put it into practice. Today I know I gave you a lot of examples of what not to do, but I could give you some examples of what to do. One of the greatest times that I saw God's peace was when we were in that car accident. My wife talks about it. It was a miracle. Of all the times you think I would have been mad. You think, I mean, right? Like if you get, like you're thinking about me, like Joe gets mad at the guy in traffic who honks at him, what do you think Joe's going to do to the guy who just busted his car with his family in it and his wife's going to the hospital? I was standing next to the guy. I could have hurt him, right? I could have beat him. But I was like, hey, are you okay? What happened? And it was an intersection he wasn't familiar with where you drive over a lane instead of taking a left turn and he ended up driving into our lane. You know, it was just he didn't know the kind of the way the lanes worked. It was, it's a unique thing. But people even asked me afterwards. They said, aren't you angry at that guy? No, God gave me a supernatural peace to help me understand that there was no good that my anger would produce in that situation. I mean, what do we need? Nancy going to the hospital, me going to jail because I put my hands on this guy, right? My kids are freaking out while dad's beating this guy in the snow. And then, who knows if I could beat him? What if all of a sudden dad's going to the hospital too? Because dad just got beat up by some random dude on the side of the road. Because you never know. You never know what kind of guy this Maybe he's a, a karate instructor. And he's like, yeah, and he just like knocks me out and dunk. I fall back on my head, you know, split my head open. You just never know. Stupid is a stupid does. Let's not do those things. But, you know, peace. Another thing that I felt I really had God's peace through is uh, watching my dad deal with skin cancer. He had to have some, you know, surgery done, a lot of it taken out. They did the autopsy of a little thing, and they found out that it was cancerous, melanoma, not melanoma, um, what do they call it? Melanoma, there we go. Melanin is what I was saying first. Melanonin, melanonin? Metonin, there's the word, metonin. What's the other word? No, the cancer word. Melanoma. And I remember my dad showing me the picture because he, uh, he, he sent it to me. And tears just started coming down my eyes. But they weren't the tears of sorrow. And I, of course, I would be very sorrowful if he had the cancer that came back or whatever and he died or something like that. I mean, we're going to face times of sorrow. But I just want to tell this testimony. But when I saw the actual picture of his, of his scar, I started uh, crying, but I was laughing. And just what God told me was, that's not your dad. This is not your dad. And it was just something that just blew my mind. I just said, and, and these were the words that came out of my mouth, and my wife will tell you that my dad has, I said my, to my wife, I said, my dad has finished his race, and if this is the way he goes, he is going to go in joy and victory because the devil never stopped him. And it, it just seems like as if I was, you know, 
Somebody would say, you're not taking that serious, or you've never you know, lost them. I've lost people. Maybe somebody would say it's different. I don't know, and I don't care at this point. I'm just telling you what I went through. I've lost a sister. I've dealt with death, too. But listen, there was something at that moment that just the Lord put in my heart, and it brought me so much joy because it was like my dad's a man of God. And you can't stop him, devil. And if this is the sickness that takes him out, this is how he meets you, Jesus, then that's how he's going to meet you. But I'm so proud of my dad. He's been a Christian for over 40 years. He loves the Lord. It's just peace, man. I'm not going to let things depress me. It's a choice that I've made. Some people talk to me as, you know, they're pastors and all of this. And I talked about in the first service. I'm not going to get into it here, but I went off on the first service about what pastors deal with. You know, and it's like they make these excuses. Well, I don't have to be at peace all the time, you know, because sometimes ministry is hard, and Paul had a thorn in his flesh and all this and that. And I know that's real, but I am not going to let the devil take my peace from me. There is nothing noble in walking around depressed in ministry thinking that's a good thing. Like, oh, you don't know the problems that I have. You don't know all the problems. Man, it's so hard for me. And some of my pastor friends, they deal with depression. And I feel, I feel for them. I know I do, man. Trust me, I, I do. I, I feel so much compassion. They have to take medication and things like that. And I'm not saying everything can be fixed just like this. You know, I don't know all the depth. But I hear them talk to me, and then they try to tell me things like I don't understand. That's not true. Just because I fought a different battle than you doesn't mean I don't understand. Okay? Depressed to me is not default. Depressed for me is not normal. I don't have to go through something and be depressed. If that was normal, then every doctor would tell you that depression is just normal. Then That's not what they tell you. When you're depressed, the doctors try to help you not be depressed. It may be normal that you were sad. It may be normal you went through something. That's true, and I don't want to make people feel bad, but you don't have to do it that way. Same thing with an anxious mind. We all get afraid, but we don't have to let anxiety rule our lives. Peace is the opposite of anxiety. Isn't that what the Bible just says right here? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, but by, uh, with prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I've read so many books as on anxiety because I've had to help people, and I've dealt with it in my past and different things, and I want to encourage them. All the books and all the psychiatrists will all tell you the same thing about anxiety. You have to confront it. You have to take it head on. You don't run from anxiety. You're afraid to fly on a plane? Get on a plane. It's called, um, it's called something. There's a way that they do it, something, exposure therapy, exposure therapy. One of the most successes that they have with anxiety is exposure therapy, and they take you in bits and stages, so you're afraid to, desensitization, thank you. What they'll do is they'll, if you're afraid of flying on a plane, they'll have you listen to the plane in a headset. And while you are there, they'll induce the anxiety, and then they'll tell you, you can make it through this, right? And if you Get scared, it's okay, we're here. And then what will they do the next time? Then they'll have you sit in one of those modular things. And then the next time, the next time, so you can get on a plane. What they won't tell you is that you'll never fly a plane again. They're not going to tell you give up. They're not going to tell you it's normal because they understand that the brain can be retrained. Does everybody get that? And so whatever today you're dealing with that has taken away your peace, you don't have to take it anymore. You can fight back, amen? Preach the gospel to others so that they can have peace. Let the Holy Spirit grow the fruit of peace in you and guard your heart from the fear and the trouble of this world. Can we end with this scripture? John 4, 20, 14, 27. Thank you for your patience today. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
Is there ever a time to say back to Jesus, I don't have to listen to this? Tell me what problem I can face in life and freak out and not listen to this. As a matter of fact, every military agency, every police training, everybody will tell you the same thing. You have to stay calm in times of tragedy or times of uh, uh, where they terrorism and different things. It's so funny preaching to you guys right now. You guys have been patient with me. I don't know if it's the medication, the tiredness, or whatever, but like my mind is functioning like four steps slower than it normally does. I don't know. It's like I, I hate when I talk and I can't think of the thoughts that I'm trying to say and I have to keep saying the wrong word. You know, it's God's teaching me patience, but uh, come back next week. I'm going to punch the devil so hard in his throat. I'm going to give it back to him. You take that devil. But here, just think about it. Come on. Uh, I was watching a guy do a shooting with the, the bank. I don't know if anybody saw that. There was a bank robbery, and the guy shoots the, the bad guy. But he had to stay calm because when the bad guy came in, he came in shooting his gun in the air, you know. And you could see the bank tellers, they all go down. It's like, oh, Lord, help us now, you know. And that's good. That's probably what they teach him to do. But what does the guy with the gun do? He instantly pulls out the gun, and he starts firing at the guy. Well, how do you do that if you're freaking out? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've played uh, enough Here's, here's another brain freeze. No, uh, yeah, Halo, but uh, paintball. I'm looking at you, but paintball. And, and when the guy comes shooting the gun at you, what's your normal instinct? I don't want to get hit. But you're there as a security guard, and it's either you stand up now and fire back at this guy, or this guy's going to start killing people. But how do you do that? You have to have peace. How do you have peace? You prepare for it. You go into training. So that when everybody else is freaking out, you can pull out your gun and stand right there and, and take some shots. That's what you do. And so this is what Jesus is saying. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He knows you're going to face trouble. He's not trying to paint a false picture of reality to you. What he's saying is, though, prepare for those troubles. Prepare your prayer life now so that when those days come with the phone calls, hey, Dad passed away. You don't freak out and need to go to the doctor yourself now for anxiety. You can pray and say, Jesus, give me strength. You said, don't let my heart be troubled. I'm not. I was talking to one of our young ladies here. Uh, she lost her grandmother, and now her mother has to keep taking all this anxiety medicine because she's freaking out. It's not helpful. You see, that's not the world that you want to live in. Prepare yourself for the battles you face. And I feel compassion for that mother. Trust me, I do. But my point is, we can do better. Amen? Let's stand up to our feet and give it up for Jesus today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. No, Jesus, no peace. No, Jesus, no peace. Let's pray. Father, we need you today to have your peace. Bring your peace all in our lives right now. Right now, Jesus. Whatever situation you're facing, ask God to bring your, his peace to you. Let's bring up the band and altar workers, please. Thank you for your patience. I don't know why I preach so long with my voice so harsh, but I hope that it blessed you today. I really do. I hope whatever was a rabbit trail or me telling an extra story encouraged somebody today. I'm just being honest with you. I'm very tired. 
You know my voice doesn't sound good, but I'm believing, God, that something changed today, that something was impacted in your life because peace is worth it, amen? The peace of God. And you don't have to feel sorry for me. This is my sacrifice unto the Lord. I willingly give it. But right now, make it worth your while staying here today. Make it worth your while to receive the peace of God. Take right now what God wants you to have and give back what he doesn't want you to have. Come into Jesus and receive fullness of peace. Don't just have a piece of peace. Have the fullness of peace. If you don't know Jesus, be born again and made at peace with God right now so that you don't have to be afraid of death, that you don't have to be afraid of the devil. Those are all the tactics that come against you because you're an, you're an enemy of God. The fear, the worry, don't let it come into your heart about death and all of those things. Come to know Jesus. Be at peace with God today and you won't fear death. For all the rest of us who say, I'm already saved, but you're dealing with fear and different things, go back to Jesus right now and say, Jesus, take it from me. Take away the turmoil of my heart. God wants you to be at peace. He wants your heart to be at peace. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. He wants you to be at perfect peace. Those who set their minds on him, he will set their minds at perfect peace. That's what the Bible says. I receive it right now. Say it right now. I receive it in this part of my life. I'm at peace in my marriage. I'm at peace with my health. I'm at peace with relationships around me. I am at peace with my finances. I won't let these things bring me turmoil. You may have to change things, but you will change them from the position of peace. You may need to go see the doctor, but you're going to do it with peace. You may have to save up more money. You may have to work harder. Yes, but you're going to do it with peace. You will not let your finances bring you worry. You are in the Prince of Peace today. You are in Him. He Himself is our peace. Jesus is my peace. Say it over your life today. Jesus is my peace. Come on, place your hand on your head if you're dealing with thoughts of worry, thoughts of fear, thoughts of depression, thoughts of anxiety, whatever they are. Say, Jesus is my peace of mind. I have the mind of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is in my mind today. I will resist the thoughts of worry. I will make every effort to be at peace. I will be at peace in my heart. If you're going through emotional hurts right now, come on, I feel this altar call. The preaching might not have been so good today, but I feel the Holy Spirit in these moments at this altar call. God is doing what my words couldn't do today. Come on, receive it right now. If some of you are dealing with emotional hurt and pain, place your hand over your heart and say, He is the King of my heart today. My heart will be at peace. All broken pieces will come together by His peace. No missing parts. I will be at shalom in my heart today. The Lord blesses my heart today. He turns his face towards my heart today. The Lord loves me today. His face shines upon me today. 
It doesn't matter what others have done to hurt me, what others have done to, to despise me, what others have said about me. I set my heart on Jesus today and receive emotional peace, mental peace, physical peace. My life is in his hands. Jesus, Jesus. Now make every effort, pray for three things in your life that you're going to do to make peace. You're going to be a peacemaker in three areas right now. Ask the Lord for strength. Come on, Lord, help us to make peace on our jobs. We can't control the outcome, but we can make a choice today to be a peacemaker on our jobs. Help us to make peace, oh God, with our neighbors if they don't like us, or make peace with this community or those who come against us. Pray right now, God will use you to make peace. Maybe you have a rebellious child. Lord, help me to make peace with them. I'm not going to approve of their rebellion, God, but I want to make peace with them. I want them to know they can always come to me. I won't let the devil divide us. Pray right now if you're outside of a, a relationship that maybe God wants you to come back into. Maybe it's something to do with your family. I know a lot of times our families persecute us because we're Christians, but sometimes we, we can treat them bad too, you know? So ask the Lord, am I outside of any relationship that I need to go back and make peace with? If you've been struggling in your marriage, come on, pray for peace in your marriage. Three things right now. If you've already gone to three, pray for more. But some of you right now need to take this more serious because I'm telling you, I can't make this happen. No one can make this happen, not even a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychologist. But God can bring you peace, man. God can bring you peace. Broken relationships. Freedom right now from the stress and worry of this life. A few more moments before we go. Peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all the brothers and sisters right now. Peace to all the brothers and sisters. Oh, may God fill us with his peace. We're going to pray in just a moment to dismiss. But before we go, would you make a decision in your heart? you're going to let the peace of God reign in your life today. You're going to let the peace of God reign in your life today. I'm going to let the peace of God reign in my life. Lord, be with us as we go. Let us leave here with peace. Let us bring your gospel of peace to every place we go in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give it up for Jesus?